0: And good morning, everybody. Welcome back for another Bible study. We are working our way through the book of Ephesians through this letter that Paul wrote to the church uh, of his time. Um, this, is just, this letter is just full of, um, of great theology and, and comfort and encouragement. And Paul wrote it not just for the Ephesian church, but for all the churches. Because what Paul is talking about is uh, well, he's talking about issues. He's talking about the implications of the gospel. And if the gospel is true, there are implications for our world and for our life. And it's not just for one particular group of people. It's for all of us. It's For Paul, it's for the entire world. And so what Paul talks about in Ephesians is for everyone. By the way, The gospel is for everyone. Yes, of course, this letter is addressed to the church, and it is for us as the church, but God's plan is to bring people into the church, not just to our church, not so we can cut a notch on our belt so that we have more numbers or we can feel like we're being successful. God is building a family. That's part of what Paul talks about in the letter of the Ephesians earlier on. I'm getting ahead of myself, though. I'm not... Not supposed to do the recap just yet. What I need to start out by saying is that now we're in chapter 5, verses 22 uh, through the first part of chapter 6. These are part of the most controversial passages in all of Scripture. Few passages have aroused as much ire or been abused as these coming passages. And one of the primary reasons for that is because these passages have to do with things like authority and submission. Now, already in saying that, some of you might, your skin might be crawling just in hearing those words. And so you can see why there's so much controversy around this passage. However, I would like to remind us all that this is... Scripture. This is God-breathed. This is the Word of God to us. Let, Let me also remind us that we are sinners, that we don't see the world aright, that we need to be corrected. Our vision is not 2020. We are myopic, and we need to be healed. So if you feel your skin crawl, and your ire awakened over this, that's a good thing. The Lord might be challenging you. And we should not soft-pedal and back down from the challenges that He has for us, but lean in and press in and wrestle. Actually wrestle with God. You know it's okay to wrestle with God? Did you know that? If you read the book of Psalms, you will see people who wrestle with God. Ultimately, the Lord will win, but sometimes we gotta wrestle through it, and this is one of those passages. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna start reading it, and you'll see what I mean. But I will say this: if you're not in a place where you can receive, where you can receive what the Lord has for you, it, that might be a huge challenge. Challenge to something. So there's, there's a deeply held conviction and belief in you. If you're not in the, in a place to hear that, I would encourage you to take a moment here and just quiet your heart and say, "Lord, my heart is not open." And maybe you need to pause this if you're listening to it, and uh, and, and listen to it later uh, when your heart's ready. But either way. I just suggest that we prepare our hearts because this is this is some hard stuff, and we want the we want we want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody, Christian or not, who who would not say the world could benefit from more little Jesuses running around. We want to be like him, but in order to do that, he's got to wrestle some things out of us and wrestles some things into us and this passage is part of that so take a moment if you need to I'm going to read the passage it's Ephesians 5 verses 22 through uh through the end of the chapter which is 33 and this is only one of the one of the controversial passages I have the distinct pleasure of going through all of them but we'll get to others later So Paul says this in in verse 22 of chapter 5. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his self, its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, the hackles have been raised. The, 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 The gauntlet has been thrown, you might say. I have read the word of the Lord. You've heard it. And right now, you're having some, many of you may be having some kind of visceral response. And it's okay if if you don't. It's okay if you don't. But I just want to be sensitive. I want you to know that I am sensitive to the fact that this is a a deep issue for a lot of people. Because what Paul is talking about is, is a certain power dynamic in which husbands have a measure of authority that wives do not have, that wives must submit to. And that is a, a, a deep challenge in our culture. It's, it's a huge challenge just simply in terms of authority. There are some people, maybe people listening to this, who think that we should, we should eliminate any form of hierarchy or authority so that all things can be equal. And this is a direct challenge to that. So I want to be sensitive to that. Now, I think one of the one of the main reasons why this is a challenge in our day, or there's been lots of fights over it, is because the this particular passage and and the ones that follow are divorced from their context in this book. So let's keep in mind the context. I'm gonna try and run through this extremely briefly. As the book gets longer, the recaps are getting longer, so I'm trying to trying to make them trying to be even more concise. So Paul began the letter by uh, reminding by reminding the church that before the foundation of the world, God chose them, God chose us and adopted us into his family. He chose us not just to simply escape uh, or be be uh, set free from the consequences of our sin of the of the evil that we bring into the world, the destruction that we bring into the world, not just that he would would rescue us, but that we would be chosen to be adopted into his family, made part of his family. And of course, in order for that to happen, for us to be forgiven and for us to be adopted into his family, we had to be redeemed we had to be redeemed out of our slavery to sin. We had to be redeemed because our sins put us under his wrath. We had to be redeemed from that. And he says, through the blood of Christ, our sins are forgiven. And not only that, but since we are his children, adopted into his family, we receive his inheritance, the inheritance that he has for us. And he, we also receive as part of that inheritance, his own spirit into us. And this is just a, a glorious and wonderful thing. When we receive his spirit into us, we also receive that hope, the hope of a new creation, of a new life to come, the hope that our sins are forgiven, the hope that we will one day be fully made alive in Christ, unhindered, unhindered, by the vicissitudes and downers of this life. We have that. And Paul's saying that we would know him, that we would know God. And to know him is to know this hope, to know the power that he has, to forgive our sins so that we don't feel shame and guilt anymore about who we are and what we do. We all know we don't measure up. We all know we don't have it. We're all trying to spin way too many plates and we're afraid one is going to fall. And one does, and we're afraid someone's going to find out and we'll feel shame. That's all gone. That whole game is over with. If you're in Christ. So that's what Paul's getting at. Now he says in chapter two now that you might you might be tempted to think that God looks out on the sea of humanity and and picks all the nice good people. And and there that's how God chose people in Christ. Was by finding all the all the right people And Paul says, no, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We were sons of disobedience. We were children of wrath. Um, there, There was nobody who had something wonderful about them that drew God's heart to love them. God just chose out of his own grace and his own mercy dead sinners like you and me and saved us, Paul says, made us alive in Christ because of the great love with which he has loved us and because he is rich in mercy. This is by grace and not by our own doing because we are his work. Created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. And Paul says, This is amazing. This was a a mystery for the ages and ages before, because Paul, as a Jew, thought that God had only chosen the Jewish race to be his special people. So if the Jewish Messiah would come, he would come for the Jews. But that wasn't the case. He's not just the Jewish Messiah, he's the Messiah for everyone, he's the Savior of everyone. And God is pulling together all different kinds of people from all different walks of life, from different cultures and ethnicities and backgrounds and perspectives, and he's shoving them all all together by adopting them into his family, this diverse group of people, and he's calling it the church, the assembly. It's a group of people who have vastly different ways of thinking and doing life. And Paul says that God is bringing us together. This mystery is that that it's through the church, not just through the people of Israel, but through this new humanity that's made up of of Jews and Gentiles. Through, Through them together, God's wisdom is revealed in the heavenly places. And Paul knows That because we're coming from different places, there's going to be tension when we are brought together. Which is why, by the time he gets to chapter 3, he starts talking about walking in a different way. He, he says, maintain the unity that has already been given to you in Christ. And he talks about us as a, as a group. He talked about the church as, as a building, as the place where God where God dwells, like the temple used to be. It used to be the location of God on earth was in the temple. And he talks about us as bricks, building blocks for that temple so that God's presence would be manifest on earth through us. And now he brings on a new metaphor. It's a metaphor of the body. And the body is made up of different diverse parts that have different functions and do different things. But they all work together together in unity so that the body might be built up and grow up into maturity. He's honoring both the individuality of each person and the unique gifts that God has given each of them and this collective sense that we are all one and we're working towards the same goal. And so logically, from there, he launches into some very practical things. What does this look like for us? In your life, and he's, he talks about putting to death, putting off your old self that was all about getting what you want and getting what you need, taking care of your own interests rather than the interests of others. You're part of a body. The hand shouldn't just think about the hand, but the hand should think about how it can serve the foot and the rest of the body. All the different parts need to think and submit to the head who is Jesus, so that the whole body can function, right? The heart can't just say, I'm tired of pumping blood. I'm going to do something else. No. We all work together. And so Paul even goes so far as to talk about the language we use. He says, don't, don't have this crude and crass joking. Don't look at, at, don't look at sex as like this thing to, to, to be frivolous about and don't worship it either. But he says, don't get drunk with wine. Don't get intoxicated over with wine so that you can can engage in debauchery, that's going back to that old self rather than the new self that's already been created in Christ Jesus. So put on that new self and be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can connect with the body and serve. You can use your life as a gift for others. So he goes on to talk about uh, the way we speak to each other in psalms and hymns, being gracious to one another. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, with thanksgiving, using words of life with one another. So the whole thing that he's been getting at up to this point is the unity of the body and how we live in it. That's the context into which this passage comes. He's answering the question, what does unity look like? And he says, here's, here's what unity looks like. He goes into, he gets very personal, getting into the household uh, of the ancient world. He's getting into your homes and saying, this is what it looks like in a household. Now, the Greek word for household is the word ecos. It's where we get the, it's where we get the word economy. We get the word economy from this uh, from this word, and it really means household. It means how all the different people in the household function to make that household work, all the different pieces. So he talks about husbands and wives, and then next time he's going to talk about parents and children, and then the time after that he's going to talk about slaves and masters. That was another huge controversial one, but that was, that was part of the ancient world. Now we have uh, two other things uh, well, we have we have two other things I want to mention. The first is that um, if you're if you are not liking this passage, if you are you're uh, putting the brakes on and you're resisting what Paul says concerning men and women, here is something to consider: consider the historical context into which Paul is writing. I had this. I think this is a really good note. In this, uh, in this commentary that I have running in my Bible. Uh, the commentators say this, At least as far back as Aristotle, the 4th century B.C., Greek ethics had addressed relationships within the household in a familiar pattern. Husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and slaves. So what, what the commentators are saying is, Paul is following a familiar pattern, something that people would be used to hearing about these, these different relationships in the household. They go on. Consistently, the interest was to help the male head of the household learn to govern his family and slaves. In their treatment of such rules, Paul and Peter, because Peter mentions virtually the same instructions for household, he says, Paul and Peter transform the question of how husbands, fathers, and masters own lives, or how, (laughs) sorry, I skipped a line. Uh, Husbands, fathers, and masters dominate to how they can imitate the love of Christ they know in their own lives by nurturing those in their care. Simultaneously, wives, children, and slaves define their roles in terms of service to Christ. They turn from being passive objects in a social world that devalues them and become instead active partners with God in His plan to bring unity to the human race Divided by gender, age, and economics. Do you see what they're saying here? They're saying in the ancient world, only men were addressed because only men were seen to be the ones who were worth addressing and would have the power to make a difference in the world. Paul is actually elevating women by addressing them directly and giving them a directive. And by pointing them to Christ. And it's going to be the same thing uh, in the next couple of passages as well. So keep in mind, the context, we, we live in a world that has, has gone far in terms of uh, creating a more egalitarian structure. But in the ancient world, Paul is actually moving, Paul is one of the ones who moved things that direction. So just one more thing to keep in mind, because I'm about to say something that for those of you who are, who are hurt by this passage, you're probably not going to like this. Now, there, I don't think there's any way around this. Paul is creating a kind of structure. He's creating a structure. He's talking about having a structure where there's authority and submission. Just like, and he uses the metaphor of the body, just like the hands uh, do what, you, what the head says and the feet do what the head says and the heart does what the head says. So there is a head and then there are parts that work. And this isn't just... Uh, this is an exclusive to the family. He says elsewhere, there's this pattern. There's Christ who is the head, and then there are, uh, uh, who is the head of both the husband and wife, and then there is the husband who is the head of the wife, and then there are parents who are the head of the children, and then there are masters who are the head of the slaves. We'll get to that one later on, but it's not just there. It's Christ is the head of the church, and then you have elders who are, who are also the head of, of um, well, they're the under-shepherds, you might say, of the rest of the church. And the call always for those who are, uh, who are under an authority or under a head to submit to that head. That's what the call is. And the call always to whoever the head is, and this goes from Jesus on down to these subheads. Jesus delegating some of His authority to other people. Their call under Jesus' authority is to submit to Him and to use whatever authority and headship they have to serve those under them. That is always, always the call. When God demonstrates His authority, what does He do? He becomes a human being And he serves. Even to the point of his own death, he has in mind those who are under his authority. This is why Jesus is the centerpiece. He's the fulcrum. When he calls women to submit, he points to Jesus. And when he calls men to lead, he points them to Jesus. Do you see why it's so important that you know Jesus? Why it's so important that if you don't know him, that you, that you actually do know him, that you submit to him as your head? There's no way you're going to be able to do this. Wives, there's no way that you're going to be able to submit to your husband if you don't have Jesus to look to. Look to. Husbands, there's no way that you're going to uh, exercise your authority and headship properly without looking to Jesus. You will become an abu- You will abuse that power. Without looking to Jesus. And this is why we abide. You meet Jesus and you stay in him. You remain in him. You you abide in him. Stay close to him. That's the only way that we would be able to do this. Wherever you are in this, and by the way, let, let me just mention, this specific particular thing, well, actually, the, ne- the next three things are all temporal things. There is not a... Uh, in, the, in this passage, because it's, it's dealing with husbands and wives, not necessarily the church, but husbands and wives, and then the next one will be parents and children, masters and slaves, those are all temporal things. Paul does not say... Every woman needs to submit to any man. It's husbands and wives. And marriage is a temporal thing. There is a time when you are not married. And a man does not have authority over a woman. And a woman doesn't have to submit to a man when they're not married. And at some point, probably one of the spouses is going to die. And at that point, there's no longer the headship and submission paradigm. And even if you die at the very same time like the silly movie The Notebook, when you go to meet the Lord, Jesus says that in heaven there is not marriage to one another. We are all married to Jesus, which is super awkward for men, but, you know, who knows? Maybe it's probably beyond what we actually think. But either way, what I'm saying is this is a temporal thing. So he's not, he's not, creating, um, a, uh, he, he's not creating an authority this uh, authority structure for all time and for all all peoples, for all of eternity. It is something that is used as a a functional element of our life right now. Once again, it's within the, the context of unity. How does this thing work? It works because you actually have this structure. And I'm sorry for those of you who think that things can just be even and equal. It doesn't work like that. You don't have mutual submission with your boss. It just simply doesn't work that way. The Bible doesn't say that every single person in the church has an equal amount of say in what happens. There are elders who will be held to a much stricter judgment than anyone else. They have a certain degree of delegated authority from Jesus to lead and it is on them to lead in such a way that they serve the body of Christ just like the husband has a measure of delegated authority from Jesus to serve his wife and to serve his family and to answer to Jesus for those things, for how he leads. That's That's why Paul is talking about um, looking to Jesus who gave himself up for her. And then he talks about cleansing her and washing her with the water of the word. Like, he's talking about the extent that Jesus is going to to serve her. And then he says this crazy thing. He, He refers to Genesis 1, where the first marriage took place. And he says, look, this idea of marriage is actually a picture of the relationship of Jesus to his church. When men and women who are married, within the relationship of marriage, when a husband leads his wife by serving her, and when a wife submits to her husband by submitting to Christ, you actually show the world a picture of what Jesus and His church are like together. You reveal the unity of the body of Christ, of the relationship that we have in Him. Once again, the church manifests the wisdom of God to the world. This is one of the ways in which we actually share the love, the message, the gospel with the world and with each other is by following Paul into this kind of relationship that builds up and maintains unity in the body of Christ. Now, you might, you might still not like this, And say, men have abused this passage, have used this passage to abuse women. And that is true, and that is unfortunate, and that is wrong. And men who do that need to repent. 100%. But just because power is abused does not mean that there ought not to be any. It doesn't mean that no authority has been delegated in some sort of ordered fashion. It's still true. Now, how are we going to do this? We need to turn the corner to the like, more practical things. How in the world, how in the world can I, let's just take me for example, can I as a husband lead in this kind of way? How could my wife, Mackenzie, s- submit to a man? To, to some kind of authority? To a man? How are you going to do this? See, because we are sinners. I am a sinner. She is a sinner. And we're married. Two sinners marry each other, and what happens? It's a sin fest, right? This is why Paul calls both of them to Christ. You see, because we are both sinners. As a sinner the one who's been given some measure of delegated authority, your tendency as a sinner will always be to abuse that authority and to use it to have your wife serve your own interests. That's what sin is pulling you into. And for the wife, as a sinner, your tendency will be to rebel. To reject that authority. To refuse to submit. That's going to be the pull for you. So how are, you, how are we going to get out of this? It's through Jesus. It's looking at Jesus as the head of all of us. Knowing and remaining in Jesus. Now, I'm going to say one more thing that is, I think is really important to be said. If, there are, if there's any women who are married who are listening to what I'm saying, and you are suffering under abuse, you might be tempted to think that what Paul is saying is that you should simply live under that abuse, right? It says, submit in, in everything to your husbands as uh, as you do to Christ. Submission does not mean quiet and polite um, uh, non, non-reaction. It does not mean that. Part of submission is actually engaging, engaging in con- conversation and even engaging in a form of conflict at times. As a woman, you have the ability to point your husband to this passage and say, Jesus says that your authority is to be used to serve. To serve my needs, not to, not to abuse me, but to serve my needs. And I'm saying that specifically to the women because the men have over time taken their wives to this passage and say, look, you need to submit to me. Ladies, if you, are, if you are living under abuse, talk to someone else about it. This is why it is so important that we stay connected to the community because you know what? If you're living under abuse, you are not experiencing and revealing to the world this unity that Christ has already purchased for us. We're not actually, it hinders our ability to share Christ with the world. So stay in Jesus, stay connected to community, and tell someone if you're being abused. Obviously, this, uh, uh, what I just said in terms of women calling their husbands to this, you can use that as a, as a tactical ma- manipulation as well, right? Jesus says that you've got to meet my needs. I have the need to go tanning twice a week. So what, what's the deal, you know? Those are, uh, there's a, needs and indulgences are sometimes disagreed upon. But you can call, my point is, call your man to follow Jesus. Call him to abide in Jesus. Call him to be connected to his community. So that others will continue to help him. And point him to Jesus so that he can Be the kind of husband who will use the authority that's been delegated to him from Jesus in order to serve you. And as we do all of this, Jesus is revealed to the world. We can't do it on our own, we can't do it as individuals, we can't do it just as couples. We need to be connected to his body, and we certainly can't do it, even if we are connected to other Christians, without abiding and remaining in Jesus. He does everything for us. What we do is we all, as Paul says, submit to Christ, which means we allow him to work in us whatever it is that he's got to work in us to give us the ability to do it. He's done it all. The Father has sent the Son. The Son has come and done the work. And the Spirit has now come to abide in us. To keep us in Jesus. Empower us to walk in Him. So if you have things in you that hold you back from being able to do this. I love myself too much. You know, maybe you're a dude and you're like, I love tying flies. And you spend too many hours doing that instead of serving your wife. That's an idol. Take it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I got idols. I need you to cleanse me. I love, I love this or that thing more than Jesus, more than you, Lord Jesus. And because of that, I don't serve my wife. Or I don't submit to my husband. Lord Jesus, awaken me a passion and a desire and a love for you and help me to stay in that love so that I long to serve. Whether you're a husband or a wife, it really doesn't matter. The call is essentially the same. As a husband, you lead your wife by serving her and as a wife, you submit to your husband by serving him. It's essentially the same thing. When it comes down to practical brass tacks, what you do with your life. So, obviously, my charge to you today is to come to Jesus. Remain in Jesus. Let His Spirit soak into you So that you might walk in this. I'm sorry if you're single, first of all, if you're single in the middle of a pandemic, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your life, I I can imagine, is extraordinarily hard. I haven't been there in a pandemic, I have been there as an adult, and I know that it's very, very hard. So I imagine it's really hard in a passage like this. You're like, well, it doesn't really apply to me because I'm not not married. You can take this with you as you go forward. And as I said before, this kind of structure is something that, that is built into the church too. It's built into the church. For all of us, the call is this time and is every time. Come to Jesus, remain in Jesus, connect to each other, share the gospel. When you're connected to Jesus, connected with one another, doing what he says, you're already sharing. You're already already doing one part of the sharing of the gospel by living it. And then it will become most natural to, to share in word as well. I hope this has been encouraging to you. I hope this has not been uh, devastating or um, bringing up trauma for anybody hearing this, but I think that what Paul says is true, and, uh, and we are the ones who, who need to wrestle. We are the ones who need to continue to wrestle with this and submit our hearts to Christ. I pray you would do that today.